0: sonic states what's <laughs> called
1: so, uh, hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 174, uh, recording live on Wednesday at 4pm UK time. You can find uh, us uh, here every Wednesday, sonicstate.com forward slash live, uh, there's a live uh, flash uh, stream and shoutcast stream and you can uh, join in the chat since. Got uh, a special guest for us today, um, I'll start with you Scott, it was talking to Scott Humphrey, who's based in the US in LA, so he's up bright and early, which is uh, very impressive. I must admit, when you look at the, your list of credits and the, the kind of rock world that you're seen to inhabit i'm i'm just i'm amazed that you're you're sounding so bright and early i i just anticipate that you party every night and work late into the late into the night but i'm guessing you know that's probably a bit of a a myth certainly on maybe maybe on a wednesday anyway
2: Well, I I don't party, so it's really not a problem. I'm able to stay up late and get up early.
1: (laughs) Excellent. We're talking to Scott because he's got a couple of things on the go, as well as being uh, a guy who's been working in uh, rock music and metal production for a very long time uh, in terms of uh, credits. He started out playing keyboards, that kind of stuff. He's also got a couple of really interesting uh, web projects on the go, uh, not least being uh, The Public Record, which is a kind of collaborative stroke promotional kind of web 2.0 kind of thing would that be a a, a rather inept way of just dis- describing it
2: i've, I've heard it uh, described that way before but
1: um yeah yeah okay cool well hi scott nice to have you aboard and uh, we've also obviously got mark tinley who's a regular guest mark tinley um autismhero.com you can find uh what mark's up to hello scott you seem to have uh an enormous list of skills and credits i mean you know mix engineer live player iphone application developer crowdsource pioneer more beside how, how did this how did you start out in this business i mean where did things start for you
2: I, I really started out um i guess initially as a drummer and then moved to keyboard so i was i was really into synthesizers and computers um i think i had my first synthesizer when i was 13 and um you know that was, um, you know, back in the day before uh, before even sampling kind of came around, and you know, in the in the eighties when sampling did start to appear, I thought it might be a good idea to get my hands on a sampler. So I, I, my my first purchase, first major purchase, was a little you know, PPG wave Woo! Uh, uh, and and I think I was the only only guy in Canada that had one at the time, or maybe there was one other one. And uh, I started doing session work when I was uh, about twenty years old. You know, hauling this sampler around, and you know, everybody wanted to have sampling, so I'd get pulled in to sometimes play some keyboards, sometimes just fire off some samples. So I, I kind of came from a tech background right out of the gate.
1: Well, it's interesting that kind of uh, a lot of people who have longevity in this industry kind of started out by being amongst the first to understand some of the early, you know technical concepts that everybody else was struggling with
2: yeah it's 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 funny i remember clearly you know when i started out i i I thought oh i'm I'm way too late to the game you know there's the you know back back in those days you know you could you could make a living just by being able to hook a bunch of midi devices together because midi was so early and just being able to you know run a sequencer you know people would hire you to to program a sequence pattern and you know, if you could, if you had the smarts to lock it up to a two inch tape machine, you know, you were in business.
1: Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I remember those days. Yes. Before song position pointers where you had to go right back to the beginning just to get it all to sync up in time, even if you were working on just the end.
2: <laughs> well, that was that was right around the time that the uh, SBX 80 came out. Um the, the little Roland synchronizer box, which, you know, allowed you to, uh, you know, stripe symphony code and, you know, it could actually follow you throughout the song and then subdivide different clocks, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, 48, uh uh, 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 resolution for Lin or 64 for PPG. And I think Roland was 24. So that was, that was kind of a big, big deal where you could actually have multiple devices all syncing to the, you know, to the same source and have a track, uh, you know, off the Simply Code. Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's kind of where where we all were able to. It was the the opening of the door, wasn't it? Taking it away also from uh, from the, having to have massive multi tracks. You could run them off kind of cassette tapes and all sorts of things, couldn't you? Really? So, right. so, um, what was the kind of big break for you? I mean, what was it that turned Because I mean, I'm guessing getting a wave turn must have been kind of quite <laughs> quite a big step. There must have been something that happened maybe before that that enabled you to kind of uh, invest so heavily in such kit.
2: Well, um, I, I guess I, I was lucky that I ran into the, this uh, the this studio owner in Toronto, which is originally from Canada, yeah. and he had the distribution rights for Simmons Drums and, and PBG. so uh, I was able to get my hands on it, and they actually gave me a room to work out of, and uh, the studio it was called Phase One Studios in the uh, northern part of Toronto, and they were one of the first SSL consoles in, in Canada. Um, you know, and, and back, back in those days, you, you know, if you, everybody wanted to mix on an SSL, and there wasn't that many in North America. So what happened was a lot of, uh, you know, bigger producers and acts started coming up from New York and L.A., because they would, you know, fly anywhere to go get their hands on an SSL. So uh, I managed to meet quite a few people, you know, coming in and out of that studio um, that, uh, you know, turned out to be uh, good contacts down the road, and I eventually moved to L.A., um, in the back half of '89, so w- when I arrived in LA, I, I had uh, you know some friends that actually worked in in that studio. Um, Randy Staub, being one of them, who's a big mix engineer who at the time was working with Bob Rock, um, and they just finished Molly Crew, and they were starting the Metallica Black album. So I, I moved to LA and immediately started bouncing back and forth between working with uh, Bob Ezrin on a record with Julian Lennon in the daytime and then working with Metallica on the Black Album at nighttime.
1: Wow. That must have been crazy times.
2: Yeah, it was it was crazy because it was just around the time that uh the original, you know, Pro Tools came out, the the four-track version which was, you know, split between two applications, uh, Pro Edit and Pro Deck. Um, you know, you would record in Pro Deck and you would switch over to uh Pro edit to uh, you know to chop things together, so uh, you know we started using that, um, uh, which was you know barely usable at the time. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, you know I'd, I'd been on Sound Designer and Sound Designer Two, um, you know originally with the uh, with the RS four twenty two port, I believe, which connected to the the E the was it the Emulator Two. Yeah, it was right. the E3. Oh, maybe it's you know I think it was the the, the Emulator Two. Um, so I'd already kind of had a, 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 you know, a couple years experience in in chopping digital audio, and um, you know, kind of used a combination of of that along with Pro Tools to start, uh, you know, doing some, I guess, crude editing compared to the way it is nowadays. Um, you know, I came up with this idea of, well, if you know, if we recorded things, you know, everything was done offline, so. You know, you'd have to, you know, peel the audio off, get it into Pro Tools, and then, you know, I would uh take those audio files, open them up in Sound Designer, because that was really the only application that I knew of at the time to even you know do any type of uh processing like um say pitch changing stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we could take uh th- there there's a th- there was one song. we were just we we're trying to finish off the I think Bob Rock was trying to mix the the uh, Metallica album, and uh, and I can't remember exactly what song it was. It might have been Enter Sandman, but there was a there was a a rush to try to get the the record mixed, and James Hetfield has blown had blown his voice out, and uh, you know Bob had said he goes, "Hey, maybe you could take all of the you know the feeder tracks, you know for the for the, the all the vocal takes, and see if you could put it together." Um, and I think that was the first time I started using Sound Designer Two oh, to actually man.
1: Use, How about doing a vocal comp in Sound Designer Two playlist. Well <laughs> it was actually done
2: it was actually done in Pro Tools, but the, the what I would do is I would I would open the, the, the vocal file in Sound Designer two.
1: Yeah.
2: Take little snippets out of there, use the the, the, uh, the little pitch utility in there, uh copied into a new file. So you know you go through and you know you'd have you know fifty or hundred snippets of these little Waveforms where you'd be modifying them, then go back into Pro Tools, import all those little bits, you know, into the audio bin, drag them over underneath the the vocal, try to line them up, eyeball them, you know, <laughs> and then move them back into the original file and manually crossfade them because there was no there was no crossfading when I mean, there was no batch crossfading at the time. Um, luckily, shortly thereafter, I ended up uh, establishing a relationship with uh, Mark Jeffrey at uh, Digidesign and and he was kind enough to you know start making some modifications to the program. I think the first one he did for us was batch crossfading. He was like, "Is there a way you could just we could select all and hit crossfade?" And uh, we, we were up at his uh, he had a place up in um, uh, Lake Tahoe and he goes, "Oh yeah, I could do that." And he sat down and did some typing on the keyboard and about 2 minutes later he goes, "Yeah, here. I got it figured out. Here's the beta of, you know, of what I did for you." And we we're like, "Wow." that was that easy to, to make
1: a change. <laughs> wow, that is amazing, isn't it? I mean, just kind of thinking that... You, and being able to influence things so directly, wouldn't it be great if we could uh, all have one of those guys hanging around while we were <laughs> modifying our workflows? But, uh, I mean, the thing is, at the time, I mean, you must have been kind of pretty much you know, not not necessarily the the only guy, but, I mean, one of the guys who kind of got it and was able to use it to that degree and was able to demonstrate, I guess, to a lot of producers who you were working with what this stuff was capable of. So, I mean, it was in their interest to make sure that they kept you happy because you were kind of the probably the best word-of-mouth ad campaign they could possibly get, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, f- from there, it kind of transitioned into, um, you know, really kind of pushing the limits as to what you could do. As far as uh, you know, being able to uh, start editing more tracks at the same time, you know, I think the uh, if uh, you know this is a while ago, but I, I think the box could. We think we could transfer four tracks at a time. So of yeah. course, well, why don't we do multiple passes? You know, we've got sync, um, and, and I don't think that the I don't think there there was a, a Blackbird's generator capability at the time. So so syncing was always a always an issue, especially with too much tape, because, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's not perfect. No, sure. Um, so we would take multiple passes to get, you know, say a drum track in, edit it, and then do multiple passes to get it back, and there was always phase problems, you know, always have to keep your stereo pairs, you know, uh, in the same, together. Yeah, 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 in the same. So that, so that you wouldn't have, like... Well, that, know, yeah, like, but
1: still, the multiple mic thing, I mean, because the phase is going to be wandering about all over the place, I mean, you might have a stereo pair, but then if you've got you know, just another mic as part of the kit that's going to throw all sorts of problems up.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, in some cases, if, you know, the, the drums weren't even recorded properly, then you'd actually fix the vase when you go back between the, <laughs> the, the overheads and the direct mic.
1: So. You get a happy a happy drum sound. So you were the guy who just got that drum sound and nobody knew how you did it, <laughs> right. in- including you. <laughs> right. right. Unrepeatable magic. Ooh, somebody, somebody got a mobile phone there. Or is that oh, me? I don't know, Mark. Have you got a CD handy? Just pop a CD on it and it'll be fine.
0: I tried that the other day and it didn't work. Well, maybe uh, it was then, the wrong kind sorry, of CD. Sorry, I forgot to put it on um, Airplane. mode. Sorry, though. you see, I've, I was struck dumb so far in this conversation and I've managed to interrupt, but with technology.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what, I mean, now, now, I mean, you seem to be pretty much uh, ensconced in the studio. Is that kind of how you spend most of your time?
2: Well, currently, no. I mean, I you know I, I came up with the idea for the Jamit application maybe three years ago, and you know started working on that. Just you know, I think I was a little bit naive as far as how much work it, it might be to to get something like that to market. I think that the, uh, I was surprised at, at uh, how difficult it would be to you know get the rights to. Um, to 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 get that content, and you know, be able to, you know, you know, present it in the in the way that we do. But you know, there's just there's so many challenges. You know, I thought that you know initially, oh, the problem's going to be is getting, you know, people to agree to let me do that, which you know, which turned out to be difficult in itself. But there's other obstacles as well. You know, the biggest one is, you know, what do you do first? Do you go okay? We're going to. Uh, we want to, you know, take some, you know, some old tracks and be able to license them. Okay, well, you finally get them licensed or get people to agree upon it, and then you go to try to find the original multi tracks and they can't be found and nobody knows where they are. Mm. Perhaps, um, we, so- perhaps
1: if we just. If I could just interrupt there, I mean, perhaps we should just sort of briefly outline what the Jamit iPhone app is. It's essentially. I had a look at it this morning. It, essentially, it's a. It's a kind of you download stems. Songs packaged in a kind of stem format, so you can mute out the beats, or mute out the vocals, or mute out the guitar, and then it allows you to, so you can play over the top of them. But it also gives you the guitar tablature and that kind of stuff. Is that a, a, a rough explanation of how it works?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I should say that I think I was inspired by a, I was producing a band from um, Washington called Point One, and uh, when we finished the record, the drummer said to me, "He goes, hey, can you give me a?" a mix without the drums and a click track and i said all right what are you going to do with that he goes well you know i teach uh, teach a bunch of kids how to play drums and i want them to be able to you know play along with a click track and then you know have the drums removed and i thought well that's a really interesting idea that would be a great idea for a piece of software you could do the same thing for guitar same thing for drums so you could you know download a a song that you like and remove an instrument and play along to it and then obviously, you know, being able to isolate that instrument uh, would be good as well. So, um, start experimenting around with that, and you know, realized well, this would be the ultimate tool for learning how to play because, um, you know, I think most guys start off trying to emulate the you know you know their favorite records, and you know, whether it be you know somebody grew up in the '70s with a turntable and you know one one headphone on one ear and moving the needle back and forth, yeah. To uh, you know, people working with a CD in loop loop mode on the CD, trying to figure out a part, so um, that's I think that's that was kind of the basis of it. Um, uh, so, so we, we needed to you know to be able to achieve this, we needed to get our hands on the, the original multi because we would have to you know remix all of these multi into this format to be able to have these tracks isolated so you could solo a, uh, a specific instrument, hear exactly how it was played, and then also remove it.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because now, obviously, um, the the idea of publishing lots of stems from a mix, you know, now that Pro Tools is so prevalent, is, is kind of, you know, we, we that's what you do, and particularly if you're going to get stuff remixed and what have you. I mean, these are sort of almost byproducts of making a record now as well, anyway.
2: Yeah, they are now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of standard that everyone expects to have stems because of the, you know, so many different uses that are, uh, you know, that, that are available, you know, once you have those assets,
1: because, I mean, obviously, you've got your TVs. And, but, that, I mean, some people... I don't know if that works for you. Do you kind of work with people who like to master from different stems and they get, you know, they sum it out of the box and do some analog audio summing? Or how, did, how does that tend to work for you, just as an aside?
2: Um, I, I don't... As far as when you say master, do you mean, you know, final master as far as a two-track master goes? yeah. No, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I always thought that, that you know... You know, when you go into to master a record, you're, you're kind of stuck with, with what you have. And I, I always thought it'd be interesting to go in with, you know, the stems into mastering. So if you actually, you know, the mastering engineer wanted to get his hands on something a little bit more specific, you know, you know, maybe mess around with the EQ of the bass drum versus the bass you know, or the level um, you know or be able to you know something's a little bit too sibilant in the vocal to be able to uh, attack that and not you know
1: not, not mess it. with
2: the, not mess with the guitar so yeah it's uh, interesting I, it's, I'm still surprised that, that that that's not going on because you know like you said uh, you know everyone seems to be doing stems now anyway but that, for all I know maybe that is happening somewhere I just haven't run into it yet
1: it's interesting also now that you think about it that way because I mean ultimately you know we're able to produce kind of such a close run thing to the final master anyway I mean the uh, you know what tends to happen between what it's you know if you, I don't know what, what sort of boards you generally mix on you mix on SSL or you mix mostly in the yeah. box or
2: no I'm, I'm still on an SSL um, I think it's possible you know to well I mean, there's, there's definitely people doing it yeah, yeah. A good example of uh, someone that does great work in the box. I just, I just, for me, I just, I just like the, uh, uh, the ability to reach around and it's just, I think it's just more entertaining than sitting in front of a, a screen. Cause I've done that for you know, 26 years. It's just nice to still touch a console.
1: Well we've also talked about it as a lot it's a much shorter sort of distance from the from the you know the thought to the action to be able to do it reach out and just do it rather than have to think about the additional layer of software that how do I do that in the software it's hard to be instinctive isn't it with uh, with software still
2: Yeah it is I mean I think maybe you know in a in a multi-screen uh, touch screen environment maybe maybe that's different you know you can get your hands on it and move faster but that, to me it's just a speed issue just it just seems like you know mousing around is is, is, is not as easy as being able to put your hands on three or four, you know, cut or solo buttons. Yeah.
1: So uh, I, I was uh, going back to my original question. I mean, you, you're, you're sort of not, you're not a, a studio bound now. You're kind of diversifying into a lot of different things, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, I was really busy working on the, I, I kind of pulled away from producing and was kind of wrapped up in, in, uh, in all the obstacles of jam it, um, but I would reached a point where uh, we were waiting for a lot of licensing to come in. We were waiting for, you know, the software t- to be tweaked out. And, you know, I'd taken a couple months off and uh, I went to Wyoming and I was skiing. And, you know, Tommy Lee kept calling me going, look, I want you to, you know, to do this, this, this new record with me. And you know, I, I'd done all the solo records as well as work with Motley Crue back in the 90s. And, you know, I, I said, I don't really want to do it. I just, you know, I'm kind of over it. But he was insisting. He goes, no, I really want you to do this. And finally I said, okay, look, I'll do it if you let me do anything I want. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I want, you know, I want to do something interesting if we're going we're to go make a record. I just don't really have a desire. just to go in and make a record, I'd like to try to find some other kind of challenge or angle. And, you know, what I came up with was the idea of uh, getting the whole world to collaborate.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. And this, this is the public record, right? <laughs>
2: Right, so that's where the the idea of the public record came out. I thought, well, why don't we want to use the public to be able to you know, collaborate with us, and he really liked the idea. So the you know the name of the public record seemed to make a lot of sense, um, and you know that's what we did. We we went in and we uh, recorded twelve songs, you know, some of them just live off the floor, and you know made those stems available: bass, drums, guitar, vocal and uh, allow people to download the stems and be able to do any kind of overdub they wanted and uh, send those parts back to us.
1: So how so. did that affect the workflow? Because presumably there must have been uh, a, a kind of additional process that isn't there in the actual you know, pure record-making uh, process. I mean, how did you incorporate that stuff qualitatively and sort of be able to then, uh, then work on the, the resulting output of the, the people out there?
2: Well, um, you know, it, 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 I kind of walked into it not really knowing, you know. It was, there's definitely an unknown factor of, you know, how's this going to work, and and uh, how do we pull it off technically? How do we listen to that many parts? I mean, initially, um, I, I started doing it by listening to parts off of the server, but it quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to work for the amount of tracks we were getting because we ended up getting ten thousand submissions. Whoa. Um, so
1: <laughs> so time to hire a tape op <laughs>
2: right, right. so so what i what i what i did you know i think by about the second or third day is i just went okay this isn't going to work you know I, I need to be able to zip all these files off the server and get them you know uh, imported into in a pro tool so i can actually visualize them and see what's going on and you know it quickly became apparent that um, you could really you could look at the file and get a good idea of what you were dealing with. You know, some you know if you're looking at a file and it was just blazing hot top to bottom, um, pretty good chance somebody just plugged in and just noodle on the guitar, you know, top to bottom without any regard to actually what the song was doing. Right. Um, yeah. And, and you know, to to be fair, we didn't really give any direction initially. We we're like, do whatever you want. Well, we had to we had to modify that early on where we just found a lot of people just plugging in and just noodling and playing blues riffs and this, that, and the other thing. So we went, okay, hold on. Here's what we don't want. We don't want this. We don't want that. We're looking for something like this. Then it started to get a lot better. People started actually formulating parts for sections. And you could see them on the screen. You'd look at it and go, okay, well, there's someone that sent in you uh, know, okay. four, six, eight tracks in a row, and it's sitting right there in the chorus only. That looks like a well-thought-out part. Let's have a listen to that. Um, so so the process uh, of going through the parts, what I would do is I would just each day I would you know download whatever happened the night before, go through it, um, pick my favorites, and save those in a session. So what we were trying to do initially was do one song a week. So let's say that you know on Monday I, I, I heard a really interesting acoustic part. okay, that's good. I heard a good whatever part. Well, I would, you know, flag those, put it in the session. Tuesday would come around, do the same thing. And by the end of the week, what I would do is I would, you know, aggregate all of those different sessions into one big session and then kind of compare them. Oh, Monday's acoustic guitar part's not as good as Wednesday's. Oh wait, maybe Thursday's is better. And and do that and just really get some, you know, uh, a session full of contenders that, that I like. Uh-huh. Once I had that um, that comp of of what I thought my favorite parts were for the week then I would take all of those parts and I would import those into my actual working session. Um, must, and, you,
1: know, I, I must have, you must have had to be very disciplined because I'm sure you, know, you must have been getting stuff that kind of spun you off in different directions as well and made you think, oh, actually, you know, they're getting at something here that we perhaps haven't seen ourselves.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and that definitely happened uh, in a couple of different ways. I mean, there was, there was uh, one song in particular where um, somebody had, had just taken it, taken the song and with really no regard to what we're doing, and just did his own mix of it, and replaced everything, and changed the tempo of it, and we listened to it, and went, "Wow, that's that's pretty amazing." Maybe we should just take that whole direction on the song, and we did. And then you know, there's other songs where, um, where we would, you know, we would get a part. There was this guy from Greece that sent in this really interesting guitar part that had this. Uh, um, really strange scale in it and we're like, wow, that's really that's a really cool melody you played and that ended up becoming a whole hook section in itself and you know, other other guitar parts you know, we'd hear this, oh, it's an interesting kind of retro glam part, maybe that should be a section, so yet there's c- complete sections of songs that didn't exist that were inspired by those parts, they weren't necessarily you know, hey, you guys should stick this part in, but you'd, you'd hear something and go that's, that's cool, why don't we build on that
1: that's interesting. I mean, how, which kind of get leads to the question is, you know, how do you deal with the, uh, you know, the rights and the, the 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 collaborative input, you know, part of it? How do you credit people? How do they kind of feel that they're more that, that they're not being exploited? I suppose. I mean, I don't I don't understand how that part of it works. That must be kind of a bit of a minefield for you to to sort out.
2: Well, it, it, to, to me, it didn't seem like it was that difficult, um, because really, I looked at it like. This wasn't any different than me being called in to do session work. I'd come in, I'd do some parts, and I'd leave, and I wouldn't own a piece of the copyright. Right. I would. I wouldn't get a royalty on it. I just. I was there to come in and you know do some overdubs and um and and I think my experience is very similar to most people's experience. When you first start out, you're going to go out there and get your name on anything you can because the first thing someone's going to say if they're going to hire you is, "Well, what have you done?" Right, all,
1: play, so it's like an opportunity, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way of looking at it.
2: Right, because you know, if you go, well, I played on, you know, my friend's demo, and you know, I did this. People going to be like, okay, whatever. But you know, the, the the really the big thing when you start out doing any kind of work uh, in a studio, whether it be an engineer, or even an assistant or a producer or uh, a sideman as a musician, is you need some kind of credits to be able to go to the next level. So, to me, I looked at it like, hey, here is an opportunity for. Somebody who is unknown, who lives in some remote area that would never have the chance to to, to be able to work with someone like Tommy Lee. Here's your here's your uh, uh, chance to you know get on a record. So um, and so so it seems simple to me, but you know a lot of early press people are like, oh Tommy can't come up with any parts on his own, so he's got to like steal parts from everyone else. And you know Scott came up with this concept to rob people and you know got, not give them credit for songwriting and. Yeah, it's just it's just ignorance. People don't understand sure. that writing a song is much different from recording a song. And 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 uh, you know, I think that well, if if I if I got a piece of songwriting for every every record I worked on, I probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Like, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be you'd retired have somewhere.
1: you'd have a person doing it for you. Yeah. Right. What? what um, so uh, the other interesting thing is, I mean, how did you get such a big response straight away? I mean, how did you get to prom- to be able to promote it to such a degree to get that many submissions? I mean, where did it? how did that snowball or how did it, you know, what was the sort of conduit for that?
2: Well, um, I guess a combination of things, um, uh, Guitar Center uh, gave us a full-page ad in uh, in their buyer's guide, which is their monthly circular, and, and, and we got some signage on their, on their store. So a lot of people came in that way. Um, I think that um, the Riff World, which is an online collaboration site. Sure. Um, uh, my friend Doug over there gave us a blast to their users. There's, We had some other equipment manufacturers involved. So a lot of people came in from different uh, different angles. Um, but but still, you know, still, also, quite, still
1: quite a lot of work that had to be done behind the scenes to kind of make all of that, bring all of that together as well, not just the initial idea. So a lot of work gone into this.
2: Yeah, yeah, it really was. And I really didn't have anyone else to help me out. So... Uh, um, you know, I, do, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I did have uh, uh, a couple guys on my team, Frank Griner and Chris Baseford, helping me out. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the responsibility was on my shoulders to you know try to use my contacts to be able to get that thing rolling. But then, you know, the virally, virally things just started to take off. You know, we'd have, you know... A, yeah. we, I started looking at traffic sources on our analytics, and I started seeing our users actually generating uh, interest, you know, where people would take, you know, Tommy was on a daily video and shouted out, hey, you know, this guy, so-and-so us this great part. Well, people would take that video. They'd post it up in their social networks and all of a sudden their friends would start clicking through to the site. So it became very viral instantly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it must be very gratifying to kind of have an idea like that and then and then see it kind of come to fruition. I mean, it's in some ways you know that's one of the things that i gravitated towards the web from from a music production background was the the speed of the creative cycle it's kind of quite the ability to sort of come up with something and have it execute so quickly kind of a yeah. buzz
2: yeah, I mean, it just, you know, it just depends on how you look at it. You could you, know, you could look at the traffic sources some weeks and go, there's not enough people participating. And then you look at the submissions and go, there's too many people participating.
1: At this point in the show, we'd like to say thank you to our sponsors, who are Yamaha.co.uk. We thank them very much for their continued support of the show. Uh, as you know, they have their own uh, excellently produced podcast, uh, podcast which is called the Yamaha download Uh, this month's upcoming uh, I've only got a little bit of information on it because it's not fully formed yet but uh, there will be a a demo of the CP5 electric piano from the Yamaha artist Martina so that's something to look forward to as well as all the usual interviews and insights into music production uh, music creation music playing all of those usual things so please do check them out Uh, the best way to get uh, a route through that so that we can um, tell them that we sent them was go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha there's the relevant links there. There's also a link to Yamaha Download.co.uk, which is a kind of newsletter uh, type resource and again there's lots of interesting articles so make sure you get the latest Yamaha drivers, the latest versions of software, uh, check out the latest release dates and again artists and uh, interviews with other interesting and associated people. Again it's not a total Yamaha um, fest, it's got a lot of uh, ancillary and other useful information and uh, once again um, thank you very much to them for their continued sponsor of the show. We, must, we, we very much appreciate it. That's it. Go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha and you'll be able to check out everything I've been talking about now. So I mean, this sort of diversification around from the, the traditional outlets and and promotional things, you know, f- that the standardized, you know, that are standardized from the, within the record industry. I mean, what what kind of what drew you towards that? I mean, do you feel that that um, there's something missing in the way that things have been working traditionally, and the transition is not happening perhaps kind of intelligently enough? I mean, how, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's I think it's really tough. Um you know, for everyone out there right now, um, and and even even from just uh, not not just you know the industry itself, and you know just the collapse of the industry, but you know just there's so many different outlets for for people to uh, you know to be entertained nowadays. It's not like it was uh, even 10 years ago, where you know trying to capture someone's attention is really tough and. You're trying to have uh, a, a record or even a single that's ubiquitous is just almost impossible unless you're in, in that in that format of top forty. It's just it's hard yeah. to get people's attention and there's so much great music that comes and goes that you just don't even know about it because you can't reach people. There isn't a filter. There isn't a place that everyone checks into, so it's difficult. So I think that uh, uh, you know that's that's worked to our advantage. Um, you know, right now we've got seven you know pretty big names uh, yeah, yeah. On, on on the public record and so the the opportunity for the artists there is to be able to you know reach out to different uh, uh different people that they wouldn't uh necessarily be able to reach you know we've got a lot of users in argentina japan you know china we've got some you know we we have some some places i don't think they normally would even know about these these records, so I think the opportunity is really marketing uh, from the artist standpoint. I mean, there's also the um, the obvious—you know, you may get something really good that, that you like that you wouldn't necessarily get. And I, I think that was the case with Tommy. I think with Rob Zombie up there right now, and he just got launched the last week.
1: Yeah, I saw that.
2: Uh, you know, it's a, it, that's a great opportunity for somebody who wants to jumpstart their career and remixing. What a great credit to have out of the gate. I mean, I know a lot of remixers that you know, started out with, you know, they just couldn't even get their hands on anything cool to do. And whether whether Rob uses your mix or not, you, you still have that mix that you've done that you can put on your reel to try to, um, you know, get some other work.
1: Do you, I mean, that's an, another interesting point. Are you finding the the kind of spectrum of people who are submitting fairly broad? I mean, have you uh, in terms of, you know, you've got professionals and uh, hobbyists. I mean, what's the, what's the sort of breakdown like?
2: Well, I, I, I really don't think there's a lot of professionals on. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I really don't see, you know, in a lot of the different sites out there, there's some other, you know, music collaboration sites that aren't um, kind of like what we're doing where you can collaborate with the with the, with the artists, it's more like collaborating with yourself. But, you know, when you look around those sites, you don't see a lot of big names or professionals or people doing it. So it, it, it tells me that we're still really early in the game. There's a there's a lot more uh, uh, people that, that that will be brought on in the future. Uh, I think there's the, I think a lot of the, the professionals are in a studio or have their studio at home, and I don't think it's really gravitated to the to the web yet.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, this, this kind of brings me on to another question, which is uh, just more in the sort of Pro Tools area. I mean, one area of music, I mean, certainly from our point of view, you know, dance music, pop music, that seems to be traditionally thought of as the way that uh, a lot of these production tips and tricks and environments have been expanded. But it seems to me that, you know, the rock and metal side of things has been, re- you know... Is is a much bigger force, creative force, in in terms of record production, because traditionally there were always these sort of big conceptual records with, you know, attention to detail and multi layer guitars and vocals and all those sort of things. I mean, this must be like a you know for you now, or, or certainly you know perhaps when you're when you're in, in the middle of a big project, it must be like a kind of kid in a candy store.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, the the, the, the tough thing though with um, you know with rock and with metal. I think that the biggest challenge for, I'm not even going to say just, you know, home recording, but, you know, even in a, uh, an ideal situation in, in a great studio with a great sounding drum kit and a great drummer, you know, getting drums to sound good is still, you know, it's, hard, it's, yeah. a, it's a challenge, you know, to, to really make it work and, and, and make it sit in a track. Certainly bigger challenge than firing up a, you know, BFD session and just, you know, tapping on your keyboard.
1: Do you think that that's some? I mean, is that, I mean, because obviously, you know, there's a lot of drum replacing and stuff that goes on, and the, just the, the the precision of the edits and the whole sort of sound of of the the, the metal sound is is very is very highly. Um, well, it seems to be highly processed in terms of whether whether that be you know in terms of the actual sound of it or just the the construction of it. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, it's you know it's it's interesting. I think that you know, a lot of people will hear, uh, say, live drums in a mix and go, yeah, those drums sound great. You know, Well, okay, maybe they sound great, but if, if you walk into a room and listen to the way drums sound, they don't sound anything like they do or what you would <laughs> say that you know those are great-sounding drums in the mix. Okay, well, they're great-sounding drums in the mix, but they don't, it's, it barely resembles what a drum kit sounds like.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, you know, there are well. I mean, but I suppose that's that's kind of the way that music production, the sound of records advances. Because everybody goes, "Wow, I really like that," and then elements of that sound get incorporated into something that takes it a step further. So you get further and further away from the natural sound because a a bass drum just does not sound like (laughs) like it does on most records. I mean, there's just
2: no, it doesn't, and especially and a snare especially. I mean, it's not even close. I've never heard a snare, you know, live either in a room or. You know, at a concert, that sounds anything like it does in a record, but, you know, people's perception of, you know, what a good drum sound is. Oh, those drums sound great. They sound really live, and they really sound warm and punchy. Like, yeah, they do, because there's, you know, four snares, uh, you know, layered on top samples, and, you know, one compressed this way, the other one compressed this way, EQ on this, triggered on that, so...
1: Uh, do you find that there's a similar... Uh, I mean, because this is what I've always wondered as well, because the, the dynamic range and the high sound pressure levels and the huge amount of harmonic content, I mean, especially when you hear to what MP3 compression does to those guitar sounds, are there any issues with recording in digital format? I mean, do you te- I mean when you're working, do you tend to work at very high sample rates or are you kind of traditional 44 or 48 kind of guy? Well, uh, we, we, uh,
2: I, I think... Um Myself, like anyone else out there, is going to use the highest sample rate they can. Just storage is so cheap nowadays, so it's not—it's not really an issue.
1: Okay, I, I, it's interesting because it, it's a, a lot of people also find that. I suppose that if you you guys are you're probably using Pringles HD TDM, aren't you? So you're the sample rates are uh, you're not relying on native computing power to be able to deal with the data throughput. So it's perhaps not quite such an issue.
2: Yeah, exactly, and really, when it, you know. It's it's funny how a lot of people get really hung up on you know on, on on not only digital audio but you know comparing it to you know to to analog and you know really at the end of the day if you're if, if you're taking your tracks and you're EQing the hell out of them anyway when you're mixed, really what's the difference you could sit there and I mean I, I find the same thing just like with if you put up a vocal mic you know I've been in those sessions where people are like oh I want to I want to try fifty different mics and you know, you kind of start going back and forth and back and forth, and you know, you start comparing it to tube mic, and you realize that well, you know what that that mic that you consider to be substandard, you know, with 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 a quick twist of the knob, you could pretty much emulate what that tube mic sounds like anyway. I mean, I agree that you want to make it as good as you can at the source. I mean, that's kind of the the key to recording. You know, yeah. How does how do you make something sound good? Well, I'll start with something that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like, I, think, I think people get too hung up on on the, uh, on what stuff sounds like flat. Yeah, it's important, but, you know, well, I really like the sound of that mic. It's got a really nice, you know, warm kind of boost. Well, I could do the same thing by, you know, grabbing a plug-in or putting it through a pull tech. So does it matter? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, you don't want to hang around too long messing about because you want to catch the performance, obviously. You, don't, you know, if someone's kind of burnt out on checking mics or, or auditioning snare samples, then it's probably all over by then, isn't it? Really?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it's amazing how many times you know somebody will come in and, and sing a song, and you know it, they can just. A lot of times, it's in that first take or two, and you better have it sounding good, and you better be in a record. It, it might not come again.
1: Well, it's interesting. I was talking to—I forget the name of the chap. He's just done the epic drums uh, thing with uh, Ocean Way, uh, the, the sample library, and, and he was an old school BBC uh, engineer. And he was—we were sort of talking about the, the way that the dynamic of the session has changed because you don't have to wait for tape to rewind anymore. So this whole process and the whole way that all these kind of environments are build up, built up, and the work rate and the amount of you know stuff you get to squeeze out of the performers without any breaks is kind of it, it changes the game quite considerably
2: yeah but you still got to take the breaks with the string players you know oh 10 minute break <laughs> oh 15 minute break
1: yeah that's true you get this the same union thing over there then yeah
2: oh yeah it's like guys come on wait no we've got to take a break oh, really okay We just oh. about had to take all right everyone's taking a break
1: all right so then everybody's got to get their chairs back in the same position and stuff
2: yeah, and, and you also got to get them to stop talking too.
1: Because <laughs> they started started the conversation that, uh, <laughs> around the water cooler when they were having their break, right?
2: Well, it's not just the water cooler. Even when they're sitting in their seats, you know, just trying to get order in a string section, like, hey, this is costing us a lot of money. Can everyone please be professional and pay attention here? Let's get this <laughs> done. <laughs> so you,
1: you have to you have to be kind of school school head teacher in that situation. Don't 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 they come with their own special minders? Those string sections that that kind of take care of that and tap their batons in a particular way that gets their attention undivided
2: yeah I I guess they do I guess I guess I shouldn't be ripping on (laughs) (laughs) you should go to Russia go to Russia that's the solution is that right for the record I would say that uh, I I think that the uh, the 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 performances that are out of London I definitely prefer the or maybe I just didn't have the right musicians here in the 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 string sessions I did here but uh, I don't know I really really like the uh the the, the performance is interesting. I was working on this record with. I uh, actually worked with Trevor Horn on a couple of records. And uh, oh, cool! You know, Trevor. Had, yeah, it, w- it was uh, I can't remember. Maybe it was Rod Stewart we were doing, and and uh, he had massive amounts of forty eight track digital tape, and we were constantly. oh Let's try the L A. Orchestra. Let's try the London Orchestra. Let's try this drummer. Let's try that drummer. It was interesting having.
1: Well, they were Ruby- all there. You just push the photos up and kind of.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Now that is a luxury but then i guess yeah. you know with those sort of guys uh, it's it's all about the ultimately the performance of the vocal and the color of the background music i guess i mean maybe i'm generalizing wildly but i mean they're old school aren't they so they'd come in and just know when they'd nailed their take
2: yeah i mean that's really music comes down to the vocal performance are you selling the song or not that's you know all this other stuff we talk about is really at the end you know not really that important as far as the listener goes maybe it is you know subtly but you know if you it's all about the vocal
1: performance obviously the the loudness wars kind of thing because it's a big uh, obviously this is a big issue and and has changed the perception of music you know there's the kind of who gets to be the loudest and obviously you you worked on the metallica album uh an earlier one so i mean you must be well aware of this and i'm, I'm guessing that as a producer there must be pressure on you to make to compete in those kind of battles how do you feel about that whole thing
2: well, I, I, I typically when laying mixes down, I, I tend to, to, to leave lots of lots of headroom. Um, I, I don't I don't try to. Uh, I mean, I made that mistake early on of, you know, delivering mixes that were super hot. It just you know you don't really leave any any leeway for the mastering engineer when you do that. You know, if, you, if it's so hot that if he wants to boost something and it puts it into the red, then uh, he automatically he's got to go out of the digital domain or do some you know gain reduction. Um, to be able to process it. So myself, I tend to, you know, I tend to not go nuts knowing that the, the pressure is really on the mastering engineer, not myself as to, you know, how hot he's going to make it. Uh, and when I say pressure, it's usually pressure from the record company because, you know, a lot of people like to AB back and forth, like, Oh, how come our mix isn't as hot? You know, when they're listening to mastering rough. So it's kind of out of my hands as to how that, you know, how that goes down. But, You know the 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 problem is at the end of the day everyone's listening on you know crappy little earbuds and (laughs) and iPods. I mean that's what we've been we've been reduced to. And you know the it's interesting that there's a whole whole uh, you know business model called the MP3 effect has has taken hold by you know the the record companies' miscalculation not only on file sharing but just the the quality that people would be willing to listen to to trade off for the convenience.
1: I know it's hilarious in some respects when you kind of listen back to the, the, the cassette tape kind of days and, and and the crappy recordings that were made then, and you just kind of think, well, actually, in some cases, MP3s are well inferior even to that because of the complexity of some of the material. It just finds it difficult to you know to do it justice.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, but you know, it's really about the consumer. What does the consumer want? I mean look at the look at the flip camera. You know, nobody was thinking, hey, people just want to really simple solution they don't care about all these options and, and really care about the quality they want to just be able to press a button and record and, and that was a runaway success and that's really no different than the mp3 um you know being uh, a, a studio guy yeah i would prefer to listen to stuff in, in higher quality and you know I, I think it's just a matter of time before we get there but uh uh, it, I just don't think the average person really cares. Well, it's that it's much.
1: sort of interesting, isn't it? Because there, there used to be a larger percentage of audiophiles amongst the general population that seems to well, have been sort of relegated to the uh, crusty old guys with um, with turntables <laughs> scenario. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that kind of in between part, there doesn't seem to be quite so much, you know. And it's you know, okay, so you you get yourself a nice pair of monitors and speakers and whatever. You're still listening to ultimately the output of your computer system in most cases.
2: Yeah, I mean I I think that the as far as the loudness wars go, the the most annoying thing is because you know, all all modern music is mastered so hot, you know, if you have a playlist that has older music in it, especially music from the seventies, you know, when, when you go between one song to the next, you can't get enough level yeah. out of you know, especially if you're working out or doing some cardio with you know, you've you've got like an old seventies song sitting beside some current song, you can't even hear it, you can't get it loud enough.
1: Yeah, well that's true. There's no there's not enough dynamic range. Right. Well which is a kind of is the, you know, it's the circular problem, isn't it? It's if there's not enough dynamic range in the playback device, then everything has to be loud to take advantage of the top the top right. end kind of the game. Mark.
0: There's a sort of irony in that in the iTunes play uh library as well, when you ask it to uh, what is it, that uh, they don't call it normalised volume, do oh, they? yeah, ask?
1: they've got, a, what's it word, it's like a, so mi- you, m- yeah,
0: track. You take that, that little box and it's going to turn everything down in relation to the quietest track anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way to do it. What we have to do is actually make sure that everybody who has uh, iTunes downloads a really dynamic and quiet 70s track that's just buried somewhere in their library so that the whole lot <laughs> just comes down to, to that dynamic level, and th- but nobody realises what's going on. Right. interesting idea I like the sound of that Mark or maybe Can what I we have... need to do is propagate some kind of massive worldwide hit that has that um, characteristic so that everybody's got it on their system
0: <laughs> That's a really, yeah.
1: there's Can a task yeah. I ask a
0: couple of questions well I suppose the first question would be did people submit uh, parts from different genres so was, were all their parts uh, kind of did they fit the genre say in other words was it just generally fans of uh, motley crew that were submitting parts for the record or did you get kind of cross-contamination is that the right <laughs> people like you know djs and dance people or maybe motown people or maybe country artists or whatever other people contributing and then if that happened how did you know whether or not there was any plagiarism because i think you mentioned there was a guy from greece who submitted something didn't you
2: yeah yeah w- well uh... It's interesting. I, this might not answer the question, but it it's kind of comes to mind. There, you know, there, there's a video element on the site where you know a lot of people would submit a video of of, of them playing or you know making a video around their, their their submission that they that they put in. And there was an issue where, um, uh, well, maybe I should just back up a second because what I found, and this is really interesting, uh, is we'd be listening to parts. And a lot of people would send in the same parts, like the same ideas. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, they, they heard, say, uh, specifically what we were doing because we, we left it kind of wide open. But what would happen is you'd start to hear melodies. People would send in, you know, a, a melody idea for a guitar or a riff idea for a guitar and start to hear these similarities. Like, wow, a lot of people are sending in this type of part, almost exactly the same. And a lot of wow. people are sending in this type of part. And 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 I think that there's some kind of weird collective consciousness with, you know, with music where, you know, we've all we've all been exposed to the same type of music, and when you hear a certain certain bed track or, or the stems as they were, <laughs> you, you may react in a certain way because you would go, oh, that kind of sounds like this. Well, oh, I'm going to play like you know a part that the Edge would play, and you, yeah. would, you would see them come in, you'd stack them up, you'd be like, wow, a lot of people you know, interpreted that as it needs this kind of part. And it was amazing how similar they were. Well, there was a situation where, you know, a guy had, uh, well, there was one song, and of course there was like 10 or 15 or 20 different people all playing this exact same part. One guy had um, sent in a video with his part, and and a, a day or two later I had highlighted a part and said, yeah, hey, we got a part from, you know, so-and-so from, uh, from Mexico, and and all of a sudden on the on the forums, you know, people started bitching and complaining, going, man, that guy stole my part. My video was up days before. And, oh, you know, man. <laughs> and oh, joined, wow. I chimed oh. in and I went, guys, you guys are all sending in the same part. Um, so as an experiment on, uh, I think, one of the very last songs we did, we put a, a track up with just beats and a vocal and didn't put any, any any music up because we were just, we weren't sure what to do with this track. We didn't like what we were doing musically and we just felt like we were stuck in this rut and we couldn't get out of it so we just put the the vocal and the beats up and uh, uh, I would say maybe 60 70% of the parts that came back were this exact same progression we were trying to get away from that we didn't even <laughs> share, share with anyone
1: Oh, really so, so it's that sort of harmonic implication a yeah, collective harmonic implication that's very interesting
2: Yeah it's really strange like I I, I was kind of I think that was probably the one thing that really blew me away and the whole experiment was just how, 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 how similar people react to something they hear and what they do musically and how sort of pre-programmed we are. As much as we'd like to think that everyone's got a different idea, we really don't.
0: <laughs> so so Bar- is it Barclay music? College or university in America, they should assign you a musicologist or a music psychologist to come and write a book with you. I think <laughs> it, could, it yeah. sounds like it could make a really interesting study.
2: Yeah, Berkeley, yeah, for sure. Um, Berkeley, and, yeah. But but I guess the you know maybe uh, more important is you know having a therapist to go to to be able to deprogram you of everything that you know so you can actually do something original.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I guess also you listen to – you know if you listen to a whole bunch of this stuff, sometimes you're going to get a bit overloaded yourself because, I mean, if it's all coming through you, even though you've got the kind of – the rather brilliant waveform overview as your friend, it's – you know, you're kind of – the notation, the the way that you annotate and realize what you want to keep and what you don't want to keep has to be sort of fairly strict. Otherwise, you can end up getting lost in all that stuff.
2: Well, I think the trick is um, – just in general, in, in, in music production, is you can't you can't get stuck on anything. Uh, for me, it's always worked good to to, to be to, to make decisions immediately. Don't don't leave a decision for later. Do you like it? Keep it. You don't like it? Get rid of it. You know, if you sit there and go, well, maybe this is okay. Well, it's probably not good. It's like buying clothes. Like how many times you have went and <laughs> you, you you looked at a shirt and you went, um, I think it's okay. I think I'll buy it. You're probably never going to wear that shirt.
1: How did you know I was wearing that shirt? I'm not even on video camera today.
0: See, oh, right. See we had the opposite problem when I was working with, um, with Nick Rhodes. He would want to keep everything and always have it available as an option. You can't stand um, those
2: people.
0: I mean, I must... Well, it was brilliant for me as a programmer because I just had days and days and days mm. of sitting there going through the same, you <laughs> know, unlimited work. <laughs> like, let's try that part. You know, part number 12... Let's try that, and we'd just have this sort of never-ending, well, never-ending days uh, where we'd make a new part for a new section, and then we'd go back and try every other part that we'd already got. Uh,
1: yeah, the, that, that's uh, very frustrating, uh, though. It's, ever, it slows you ever. down, doesn't it? It does slow you <laughs> down.
2: Yeah, I think you end up going in circles, too. Uh, that, that, that drives me nuts. I mean, I... I really like to just make decisions, even when it comes down to, you know, if you're tracking guitars. I don't have any problem printing effects right on the track, not even on a separate effect track. It's like, let's just do it. If we I don't agree like with it, that. you know. If you don't like it, then like, well, I guess, I guess we didn't do it right, and we'll come back and redo it. Uh, you know, leaving leaving too many options just drives me nuts, uh, and, and I, I don't want to. Point any fingers, but you know, I was working on a project one time, and it was just so ridiculous. I'm almost tempted to tell you the name, <laughs> uh, maybe won't. Um, But it, it was just, you know, so many tracks of like. Uh, uh, actually, I will tell you why not. It was uh, Mick Fleetwood playing um, uh, hand drums on the back of Lindsey Buckingham's guitar, and 1624 like, uh-huh. tracks of these different mics. And to me, it was just like it all kind of sounds the same. Who cares? Just bounce it down to one track. No, 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 no. Well, we're going to need control over this, I mean really playing playing drums with your hands on the back of a guitar is that, is this really you know we can't make a decision on that
1: yeah, well, you know I mean we're talking about people who sort of just were live, you know encamped in, 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 in the studio kind of working on big albums. maybe it's just you know a, a control thing isn't it
2: well, maybe it's a control thing, but i i I think that it's 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 just really uh, an obstacle because uh, yeah, it's just an- another way of getting lost and losing losing your focus. I mean, the focus is to try to finish a song. I mean, it, obviously, yeah. if you really screw something up, you know, it's, you go dig your way through your different – as long as you're saving different versions. I mean, that's the key is just keep saving as, and if you need to get back to it, you can. But dragging that many files, uh, as everyone knows, especially once you get into you know, hundreds of tracks – it's it just, it, you know, it's impossible. It, it bogs the system down. Track management just gets ridiculous, um, it, you know, and, and it's not important. It's usually not that important.
1: Well, Scott, thank you very much. It's been a very interesting hour's conversation. Um, I appreciate that uh, you've given us time. You sound like you're one of the busiest guys I've met anyway, so <laughs> I'm guessing the world is waking up where you are, so the phone's going to start ringing and people are going to be making demands on your time. But uh, before you go, I mean, what's the, the next big thing up on the public record that we should uh, we should tell our users about? Well,
2: the, um, what I'm working on right now is I'm working on a, uh, a paid members area for the public record, yep. and uh, you know I've had the luxury of 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 having these users from all over the world tell me what they want. So I've been building this, uh, this area and, and and really the, the, the one thing that everyone wants is, you know, the question is how do I make money making music? That's everyone's question. Yeah. You know, how do I get my music out there? How can I, how can I be successful, you know, as an artist? Well, you know, the answer to that is you can't, Uh, unfortunately, uh it, it it's probably not gonna happen and it's probably not possible and, and you know both of you guys uh could could probably point to some people that you know that had great success, that had platinum records, that had hits, that can't get arrested today, can't make any money in music. So if they can't do it, what makes you know, some other guy think that he can do it with absolutely no track record. Um uh so um, you know what I'm working on are opportunities for people to within our community to be to be able to get paid making music in, uh, in in a variety of different ways and and I, I won't go into detail on, on how that's going to work but that's really the basis of it you know how can I make music well we probably have three or four different programs that we're working on that are going to allow people to uh, um, have a chance at making money every month uh, right. A variety of uh, of different tasks, so that's really the main focus. Uh, obviously, there's going to be tools in there uh, as far as uh, bandwidth and storage, and different uh, uh, different tools for collaborating with different people. But the the, the main focus is to is not have a, a, a place where people could just come and jam out, and you know, and and say collaborate, and make a bunch of Creative Commons uh, tracks. You can already do that in other sites. So we're we're really Our main focus is copyrights and masters, making new copyrights where, you know, people own the rights to them, like a traditional songwriter, and making masters where, uh, you know, the master can be exploited.
1: Well, that's very interesting. So it's almost, I mean, I suppose in respect, it's kind of like almost like an open source record label kind of idea, right? And publisher.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, but but you know, you think about it like if you know if you are you know a staff writer at a at a publisher and you're writing songs you don't necessarily want someone to collaborate on the copyright, but you you, you most likely you know want people to help you record a demo or record a master so it's a matter of just being able to protect those rights so mm-hmm. that you know it's an attractive area for someone to come and, and use the use the membership and, and find people that are great that they can do parts out of their home that they can count on, because in my experience, whether it be, you know, songwriters or producers, you know, you you find people that you like working with, and you probably keep calling them uh, over and over again, unless they're not available, and you go to, you know, choice number two.
1: That's great. Well, thank you very much, Scott. I wish you the best of luck. Thepublicrecord.com is where you can go to find out the latest uh, collaborative projects that uh, Scott and his uh, stable of uh, collaborators himself have got. Uh, on offer, so um, please do go and check that out. And uh, once again, thank you very much for for joining us. It's been a very interesting and enlightening chat.
2: Thank you, Nick, and and also thank you, Mark. Nice, uh, nice speaking with you both.
1: Yeah, and you. Okay, well, cheers, Mark. I'm um, I'm sorry, you were more of a passenger there than perhaps um, than. Uh, no, it's your...
0: good. It was really interesting, actually. I enjoyed it.
1: Uh, those of you listening in the chat room, thank you very much for joining us. That was Sonic Talk number 174. uh dot forward slash live. 4 p.m. UK time.
0: Sonic. States. Long call.